We are all born with a purpose, yet identifying what that is can be very challenging. It can be even more challenging to find purpose in your business. So, is it possible to find purpose in your business and make profit at the same time? Not only is it possible, but a business led by purpose can be even more profitable than one that is simply led by profit. Join Robert Fukui as he explores how to be purpose-led and profitable while making a positive impact in your community. Hi, this is Robert Fukui, your host of the Purpose and Profitability Podcast, where we believe that having a profitable, purpose-led business can lead to community transformation. Welcome to our second installment of the uh, of being on Facebook Live, recording this podcast on Facebook Live. Um, this is kind of like take two because uh, last Monday when we when I tried this, um, had a few technical difficulties, so it didn't come out quite quite the way we wanted it. Um, so this is take two, and, and today I have as my guest co-host is Eric Yoon of Standout Marketing, based in Bakersfield, California. Um, privileged to have him here. He's done a lot of great work for for myself and my clients uh, with some of the marketing aspects that he's uh, an expert at. So Eric, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robert. Hey, looking forward to having a great discussion. Um, Happy New Year to you. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, you it's know, this this month, because it's January, brand new year, we've been talking about planning for business success. And so today we want to Mm-hmm. delve a little bit into the marketing aspect of, of a business. And so certainly uh, I haven't found a business that's perfect and neither the corporations that I've worked at, even some of the largest businesses in the world, um, we're never, never perfect. So we, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And that's also in marketing because there's always so many moving parts. So we want to talk a little bit about marketing today, Eric. Mm-hmm. So why don't you give us a, a little bit of a background about yourself and a little bit about your business? Yeah, so um, yeah, I live in Bakersfield, California right now with wife, Jessica, and my daughter, Zoe, um, recently married, just had a kid right after. And so I uh, run a business called Standout Marketing. It's a design and media uh, marketing company. And um, yeah, it really started from, I was actually, it was, it started from uh, when I was in kind of like a ministry school. And we were reading through a Bible passage, and then it, that passage was was about when Jesus did uh, miracles, and he had these amazing, wise teachings. And then it said that people were so amazed that news spread quickly. And um, right when I saw those three words, news spread quickly, immediately I I just thought media. Media is um, the way to do that today, to spread new, good news quickly. And not necessarily, for me, I didn't even think about um, necessarily like taking the gospel message um, and spreading it, but it's just good news all around, like messages of hope and uh, anything that, that will bring encouragement and hope and just spread love to people. And so um, right after that, I just started taking action on getting some training. I got a guy who... Um, um, who had some experience and graduated with a degree in design, graphic design, stuff like that. And he took me through some of his projects, and um, and I just practiced. I would make a, I would make fake companies, like fake skate companies, and I would literally make a fake target audience and all the and all that stuff. And I would make a fake logo, you know, for <laughs> fake companies. And then that turned into um, doing some stuff for the church, and then doing some free fr- projects for people, building a portfolio. 
And then eventually I got to work with some amazing companies um, for marketing and also design agencies, video production, doing video production and design marketing and stuff like that. And then um, just recently, uh, beginning of last year, I was able to start my own business, just had some opportunities and ran with it. And so, um, and it's been doing good. Um, a lot of my work has been um, some consulting on social media strategy. And obviously that's uh, been um, taken off the past couple years and I don't think it's going anywhere um, at definitely not the concepts of it and so um, social media strategy consulting and um, video production graphic design for print and web so that's a little bit about standout marketing yeah and then you also have another uh, little side venture with food right you're doing some videos for restaurants yeah. and stuff what, what is that yeah, that's just something I wanted to do for the community. I grew up in Bakersfield and there's a lot of actually, you know, you know Bakersfield, um, something like I grew up just wanting to leave. And then now, <laughs> you know, um, that uh, just because I think a lot of it is um, both inside Bakersfield and outside of Bakersfield, you know, Bakersfield um, gets a bad rap for being the armpit of California and there's mm-hmm. nothing to do with Bakersfield, you know, it's in the boonies and there's just like nothing going on there. And so, but living in Bakersfield, when I shift my perspective, I'm like, it's actually an amazing city. People really love each other, value family, value community. And there's so much gold here. And one of the things that I love is there's a lot of unique places to eat. Actually, there's a lot of hole in the walls and hidden gems. And I was like, this is like, people need to know about this. I would go to restaurants and, and I've never heard anyone talk about it. And there's just cool stories behind the dishes and the owners and stuff like that. And so, um, and so I started this project. Part of it was also to, um, as a media platform to kind of promote standout marketing as well, because that's what we love to do is bring out superhero qualities in businesses. And, and so it was kind of a fun thing I wanted to do for the community and also, um, and helps with stand out because no one knows my company yet <laughs> except for a handful of people. So, yeah. So well, it's been a lot of fun. It's been cool. Yeah. So what's your favorite restaurant there in town or one of your favorite restaurants? Oh man. Uh, one of my favorite is the first episode that we just launched. So the platform's called local leader Bakersfield and we're mainly doing it on Facebook and Instagram right now and um there's a burger place called happy jacks that opened in 1960s and so uh, that's the first one i did Uh, the owners have owned it for like 50 years and um they're really sweet uh they they um they're you know it's it's a lot of regulars go there you know it's that family vibe you know when the kids come they know where to go to get the toys to play Mm -hmm. with and um the owner comes in 3 a.m every morning to to bake pies um, and they do a bunch of stuff for the community. Like they go out and clean up, clean up trash by the river. Um, and you know, it's really cool. So I was like, this needs, people need to know about this, you know? Yeah. And, um, and also it's a good mix because not only like morally is it just amazing, but also, um, people value those things, especially in Bakersfield, you know? Sure. And so, um, and I've done a lot of work in Bakersfield. I've spent a lot of time there with clients and stuff. And certainly yeah, Bakersfield's a, it's a great community. People are so nice and it's uh, always um, one of my favorite places to go just, just because of the community and the and people are just so nice and welcoming. And um, yeah, it's actually pretty nice. So one of the things that was pretty wild for me was when I was driving on the north end of the city and you're looking out, all of a sudden it's kind of right where you're looking out over, over Oildale and it's yeah. all, the, all the oil rigs are there. And I swear it looked like I was in Oklahoma or something. I'm like, oh my God, look at all those oil rigs. I couldn't believe that. That was here in California. But um, yeah, that's, that was surprising. So now you also write and sing as well, right? 
Yeah, so yeah, big, worship. Yeah. yeah, a big part of my part of my church here, a church called Renaissance here in Bakersfield, and um, worship leader here. I've written about written about maybe like twelve songs. I still need to record an album. I need to get yeah. on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a huge passion. My growing up music has been. Um, Music has, I really thought music was just my number one, just thing that I was always going to do. But I started realizing it's more, I just like being creative. I like creating things, taking things that are in my heart and other people's hearts and making them, um, making them manifest in some way. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. well, certainly you're, you're, you're gifted in that area for sure. And you're definitely gifted in marketing and the video production and all this, all the work you've done for, for my clients <laughs> as well. So, so thank you. And, thank you. and I've been, and I've been, I've been, uh, getting on Eric a little bit about thinking about creating jingles for, for businesses. I think that would be a, yeah. that's kind of a, like a, I'm going to say lost art, but it's something a lot of businesses don't think about, yeah. but we do hear it, especially on uh-huh. commercials, but why not for even for some of the smaller or medium sized businesses? Why can't they have a little jingle as well in some of their promotions? So anyways, yeah. if you need a, if you need a jingle written, a place for it. <laughs> yeah. If you need a jingle written, uh, Eric's your man. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's move <laughs> on to marketing and, um, talk about what some of the blind spots that businesses have or those things that are often overlooked. And so in your experience, uh, even when you're working with design agencies and such, what, what, what have you seen um, are some overlooked areas in marketing that uh, business can mm-hmm. capitalize on or fix and improve on? Yeah, I think, well, first, I think the biggest one would be, would be not having a respect for, for the platform that, um, that the company is marketing on. So um, let's say let's say it is social media, right? You're trying to market on social media, but within social media, there's, you know, the top ones are probably right now is you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Snapchat, and Twitter still. And so but the thing is like, I've seen a lot of companies uh, and what they do is they take like a marketing piece of content, whether it be a video or a flyer or whatever it is, and then they say, oh, we got five platforms that we could put it on. You know, let's put it on all those platforms and see what happens. But um, I think it's a big mistake because I think with social media, you really have to um, know why people are on there in the first place, right? right. Um, and so for Facebook, for example, like people aren't there to, to buy product. They're there to watch funny videos or to catch up on family and friends and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So um, respecting the platform is huge. And I think let's, let's say take Facebook, for example, um, there's, you know, like you probably heard of it, but there's an algorithm set up where, um, cause Facebook, what they're trying to do is, is limit this whole, like the vibes of like people try to sell stuff all the time because mm-hmm. their whole goal is to get you to stay on their app as long as possible. Right. right? And waste as much time watching as many funny, <laughs> you know, like silly videos as possible. And so we need to kind of acknowledge that and say, okay, how, how do we contribute to that? How do we add a value to um, the people that are on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is? So um, that's the first thing is say, if you're, if you're going to go on Instagram, you know, think like an, like an Insta famous, you know, an influencer, right. Or even use hire an influencer, like hire a high schooler who has a huge uh, following on Instagram, you know, to help promote your product if, if that fits in your strategy. And so I think um, that's one uh, yeah, that's pitfall. A, yeah. That's a, that's a good point because uh, too many times people business just think, Oh, just, create a Facebook account or just create a social media account and just start posting stuff. And a problem is too, not just not respecting and understanding, um, you know, why people are there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they're so for that reason, they just keep posting promotions. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so there's nothing wrong with, 
promoting your business, but there's right. kind of almost like an 80-20 rule. So on, on any social media um, outlet, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, you know, majority of your content should really be stuff that's engaging that people want to see. And there right. can be some relation to your business, uh, the subject matter, per, per, uh, perhaps. Um, so like for a restaurant, they can be promoting different foods, different recipes. You know, that, that sounds like that would be more of a Pinterest type strategy. But, you know, it's more just um, general engaging content for the audience, for the target mm-hmm. audience. And then every once in a while you sprinkle in, hey, you want to learn more or you want to buy this or you download one of our recipes, that kind of stuff, right? So, so yeah. 80% of it truly should be engaging, uh, entertaining content specific right. to why people are there. So on LinkedIn, it's more business content. People are there to network and they are in the mindset of looking for totally. business type training and articles and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You wouldn't put that same type of article on Facebook though. Right. Even though it's just, even though it's not promoting yourself, but that's just not the kind of content that should be on Facebook. And so that goes to your point about respecting the the platform and understanding why people are there. Um, And and also got to remember, just don't, not always promote. (laughs) That's what I'm always saying. Because I think that's like always promoting. I think that happens because that happened because, um, because, like let's say you make a video most like the the main way you can make a video for your company and make people see it will be a TV commercial. And that costs so much money to be able to put that in front of so many people, um, let alone the cost of actually producing it. But um, the, the social media is just such a game changer in that because for one, you could, you can make videos for $0 just with your face, with your iPhone, which are better than a lot of the cameras back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also to get it in front of people, you don't need to spend a lot of money. If you have, if you have 20 friends on Facebook that can share, you know, the video that you make, then, you know, you'll, you'll reach hundreds or even thousands of people that way. Um, so it costs no money. And obviously there's boosting and stuff like that, but I mean, that gives a lot of room and, uh, and it, it gives, you know, I guess it frees up your budget to make more content. So you don't have to put all your chips in, um, in offering, right. And, and try to get people to buy your product. And I think, uh, I understand why people did it when there were TV commercials, because mm. really the home run is you want them to buy your product. And I sure. they're trying to do everything all in one you know, a, right. a 30 second sure. segment, right? They're right. trying to capture your attention, engage you and educate you on your product and tell you how they can purchase it. But with social media, you can make 20 videos just on capturing their attention, make another 20 videos on engage them on why your company exists, mm-hmm. right? Sharing your heart. You can make another 20 videos and then make one video on offer. And by that time, they know who you are. They know your heart and they trust your product. Hopefully, you know, and so um, social yeah. media definitely changed the game in, in that way. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good point because, you know, the old type of outbound marketing like commercials is what we called, um, well, outbound marketing and disruptive marketing, right? You're there. People don't necessarily want to be there. They don't want to mm-hmm. listen to commercials, um, but they have to because <laughs> they're watching right. a show. They're watching a football game or they're watching a sitcom, whatever. Um, so they have to endure the commercials. And so, you know, those those commercials then have to be, um, very as engaging as possible and have a distinct call to action um, mm-hmm. versus social media. They're on there and this is a place where you can really cultivate a relationship just like you would cultivate a relationship one-on-one, right? Mm-hmm. So social media is kind of like a, a surrogate for having a physical face-to-face interaction. Um, yeah. And because they're always going to be back on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, 
you can take a little bit more time to cultivate a relationship, cultivate trust for them to ultimately purchase because that's mm-hmm. where people, we, we like to buy and do business with people that we trust. And so that's what you're really on their social media for is to be able to cultivate and develop trust. And then that's why you don't have to always be having a distinct call to action to do business all the time because they are, they will be back on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on their whatever favorite social media account. Um, but we don't have to cram it in their face um, all the time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what are some other uh, marketing blind spots that you see? What's another one that, uh, that you've seen anything come to mind? Yeah, I think another one is probably, um, I call it aiming for the board instead of the bullseye. <laughs> and so um, a lot of times with marketing, I think everyone wants to reach everyone, right? Um, usually, I mean, um, whatever product you have, you want to reach as many people as possible. But it's so important to, I think, identify the bullseye. And the bullseye for me is that one person, right? And then you figure out, you know, who that person is. And, you know, even down to like what color hair they have, right? Uh, what school they went to, what kind of music they listened to. You want to really, um, and that helps almost build a personal relationship with, you know, your target audience, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't really mm-hmm. exist, but, you know, but they do, I guess. But so um, that it's that bullseye you want to you wanna really identify. And then you create outside of that, I'd say, okay, let's say maybe five to eight people, you know, and create a, create a demographic for that. But usually I think um, people just aim for like a board rather than a bullseye where it's like, okay, either it's just anyone that's breathing, you know, or um, anyone that's on Facebook or um, yeah. anyone that lives in America, you know. And so yeah. um, I think that's a huge thing. And, and the amazing thing is with that is um, you can really, um, you know, make content for a specific demographic. And with social media, you could target so well. Like it's amazing how on Facebook you could um, make a video just for someone who's, um, you know, 18 to 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that mm-hmm. lives in this zip code and that are interested in these brands and then mm-hmm. just have them see it, mm-hmm. you know? And so now more than ever, I think it's so important to um, aim your content at a bullseye rather than just. The, uh, yeah. So you're, board. yeah. So you're talking about target market, which is exactly, important. Yeah. And most, you know, I'd say uh, seven out of 10 times when I ask a, a business owner, you know, who your target market is, they invariably mm-hmm. say something to the effect of everyone. <laughs> and, so, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so I said, well, okay, everyone could potentially benefit, but not everyone's going to purchase. Um, and then, um, yeah, and to your point about, uh, and then it helps you identify, you know, not just who to market to, but where to market. So mm-hmm. like if you have, um, uh, if you're selling snowblowers, for example, and you're, yeah. you're doing an ad, Facebook ads, well, you definitely want to zero in on where you want your Facebook ad to show up, right? Showing it up here in Southern California, you're probably not going to get any sales. <laughs> you're probably not going to get engagement. But showing an ad yeah. for snowblowers in Montana, Alaska, that kind of thing, definitely you'll you'll hit a you'll definitely have a bigger chance of hitting home runs. So knowing who your target market and where and how you should be promoting to them is huge. So you have to identify yeah. who that audience is, and like you said, even getting down to the color of hair. Yeah. The more specific you can get, the better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of business owners or businesses think, you know, if they if they narrow themselves too small, they're gonna niche themselves and they're gonna lose out on a lot of sales. Right. But that's kind of the, the the kind of the running thinking. If I if I niche myself too much, I'm I'm gonna lose sales. Um, right. What do you have to say about that, Eric? 
Yeah, I think um, I, a friend told me once, and I think I think he got the quote from someone else. So sorry, I don't have the, <laughs> the <laughs> source for this, but um, he says something like "Go big by going small." Yeah, you know, and I think um, it's good because I think in a small environment, um, it's it's easier to kind of control your brand and build a culture for your brand. Whereas if let's say you want to um, have a meeting that's um, just about uh, building wealth or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you have a group full of like 50, just random people of all different, um, of all different social classes, I guess. Right. And all different incomes and stuff. And so, um, in that room, it's going to be hard to really get into the nitty gritty of what it means to build wealth, you know, but if you have, whereas if you have five people, you know, that are really wealthy and they be around, gather around this topic of building wealth, you know, you'll get a lot more done. I think it's the same way for marketing. You know, it's just so much better and you can create a much stronger brand and a community around your product and around the vision of your company. If you have less people, um, that are interested, right. And that are actually the target market. And eventually that'll grow because, you know, attention, attention really attracts people no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I don't really care much about, I don't know, hair products, but if there's a bunch of people like, you know, like going crazy about hair products and loving it, then I'll be interested in it. And maybe I am interested, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that's what I'd say about that. I think if you really focus in on, on, um, on your target market, it'll eventually grow. Yeah. And because it doesn't mean people outside of your target market won't do business with you. Um, it's just mm -hmm. that you need to start with a specific target. Then you'll have a clear right. message. So every, uh, every big brand has started with a target market and as they dominate that market and they, the culture, as you say, was developed and all these people are doing business with them, people outside their ideal market are then looking in going, hey, if they like it, if it's good for them, maybe I should exactly. join it. I yeah. think, you know, these high-end coffee shops now, just high-end coffee in general, um, yeah. that's a great example. You know, Starbucks was really sure. the one that really kind of blew this thing up. I mean, certainly, mm -hmm. you know, coffee shops have been around, but not to this level. Um, mm -hmm. It was more, especially the higher-end ones, the gourmet coffees, I think those were thought of as more uh, people that were coffee snobs and only select people really appreciated that. But look, now look where we are, is that people of all walks of life and all economic incomes now are going to Starbucks, right? Before, mm -hmm. it was a kind of a niche thing, but look how it's blown up. And mm -hmm. so, but they had this, they started with really understanding who their market is, is really people that really appreciate finer coffees that didn't want to go to 7-Eleven or a gas station for a cup of coffee, but really wanted a good cup of coffee and also good experience to be able to sit and relax in an environment without just the kind of come and go kind of thing, right? So yeah. um, understanding who their market was, market them, but next thing you know, then everybody else is going, hey, if it's good for them, it might be good for me. A great example I always like to give is the uh, Be Like Mike campaign, uh -huh. right? So Nike, Air Jordans, Certainly, when Nike was in its infancy, especially when they developed, uh, came out with their line of basketball shoes, really, who are they going after? Well, it's the basketball players, you know, the college athletes, the, and also the, um, the NBA stars and all that. But then it starts to trickle down into the high school level, the junior high level, the elementary level. And then it's people that don't even play basketball just want to have the shoe. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's kind of like shoe envy in the sense that, that you know, the yeah. campaign, Be Like Mike, it's, uh -huh. hey, even though even though these shoes are really geared for the the athlete, 
But hey, I want to, if, if even as me as the just playing after school pickup games, hey, maybe it's good enough for me. If I wear these shoes, I'm going to be that much better is kind of the, the thought that kind of goes in your head, right? Yeah, that's a perfect example because now it's like, I think Nike's thing is like everyone is an athlete, whether you're, you know, and they, whether you're into fashion or you just need something to wear at the office or, you know, they, they really broke into every market. But it did start from, like you said, a campaign like that. It started with one person, you know, who defines excellence through basketball. Yeah. yeah 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 so one things um we'll end up on um this podcast with is one of the areas that i've seen also is some a blind spot in marketing is and it, people don't really think of it as marketing but it really is but it's on customer retention mm-hmm. and so yeah every business if you've been in business already if you're already in business then you already have some customers and you have customers that have come and gone um i always look at retention rates you know what percentage of your customers come back? Mm. And so that's a, that's a telltale sign. So it's rarely 100%. Um, in fact, pretty much never. And so there's always room for improvement. So if we can increase the retention rate for customers coming back, um, that'll immediately increase, obviously, revenue. And it's always cheaper to market to the ones that have already done business with you. Mm-hmm. Right? If a customer comes to the door, if, a, you know, if you have someone coming into your restaurant, They've experienced it. Seems like they've had a good time. Um, to get them to come back a second time is a lot easier than trying to get a new one coming through the door. Because one, you've already had a, a connection with them. They've already experienced you. They had a good experience. Now it's about staying in front of them somehow, whether it's through a newsletter or through a postcard or even sometimes a phone call or if you encourage them to be on their Facebook page or Instagram page or your Pinterest page or whatever. How do you get them to be engaged with you even when they're not there? Mm-hmm. just to stay front and center so that they remember, hey, next time I need a good meal, I'll come to you. So even if they had a good experience, they might right. just go try another restaurant anyway. <clears throat> but if it's a, hey, you know, come back and visit us, hey, well, maybe we'll give you a free appetizer or a round of a drink, whatever, something that will uh, keep you front and center and just gets them mm-hmm. to think, oh yeah, I had to, did have a good experience. It's time, it's, I should go back. So it's, they're more, you have a higher likelihood of them returning. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you increase the retention rate, I've seen, you know, one client, their retention rate was like in a 20% range. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, only 20% of your customers have come back. So let's just, let's just go for 40% this year. Yeah. Well, that's going to double their sales just within that group. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was a very simple, um, simple thing to do is really just about, this was a kind of a service-based business, but it was really about just getting one of the, uh, office staff to just make phone calls. And say, hey, how you doing? Like, right. you know, it's January 2018. Hey, happy new year. If there's anything we can do, let us know. Right? Just a simple mm-hmm. something like that. It just to kind of trigger their memory and go, oh, yeah, I haven't done business with them in a while. I should go back. That, something like that in itself, just so simple, um, mm-hmm. but yields some huge returns. And um, yeah. so, so retention rates are something that's very overlooked. So I encourage all business owners to really look at last year and look at their history and look at what's your average retention rate. And if we increase that retention rate up to you know twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent, what does that do to your your bottom line? It's it's going to be huge, and you won't have to spend as big marketing dollars to get this, that same amount of customers to come back than it is to get new customers to come in, right? Right. So to get twenty new customers to come back versus trying to get twenty new customers, it's a lot more expensive and a lot more time and energy to get twenty new customers than to get twenty of your old ones just to come back. 
So yeah. definitely remember about customer attention. So that's a that's a very uh, yeah. commonly overlooked thing. Um, but you pay attention to that, fix that. It's a simple thing that yields uh, huge dividends. Uh, I have a question regarding that then. Would you, and obviously you want to market to both new customers and, and existing customers, but mm-hmm. would you lean toward more toward one and help the other one would kind of follow in on that? But in, um, in your, you know, in your experience, like, um, yeah, what do you think? Like, is there one that you lean more toward? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the kind of, on the kind of business. And so, um, you know, it's going to be a case by case, but I always look at how do you maximize what you're already doing? And mm-hmm. so, First thing is, okay, you already have customers. How do we get more of them to come back? Mm-hmm. And the ones that you do business with, how do you get them, if you can, if it's applicable, how do you get them to even do um, more business or spend a little bit more money? And that's why a lot of businesses are so concentrated on upsell. So it's not upsell just to upsell, but really things that make sense for the customer. But sometimes it's just a simple request. Mm-hmm. So I had an auto detailing shop. You know, customer comes in for a detail and then I say, hey, why don't you ask them, and this is, you know, when, when somebody comes in for detail on a car, they want to pay attention. They want to take care of their stuff, right? They want to take mm-hmm. care of their car. That's why they're there. That's why they're spending the 100 200 $300, $400 to get a detail. So I said, why don't you just ask them um, if they would need, not air fresheners, um, some kind of, I forgot what it was, but they had some kind of other little cleaning solution. I think it was just a little rag. That's what it was. That just... To, to wipe off the dust and it was kind of a static clean rag or whatever a specialized one and it just keeps things looking nice so instead of so if they just get you know over time you just collect dust anyway every car will just from being outside so if you just get this rag and just and go over it it actually you know renews the shine because it's just really just taking off um, a lot of big surface layer dust it wasn't very expensive um, but it's something that you know a lot of these car owners would probably want to buy so I said just ask them you know, when, at the tra- at the sale, when they're checking out, ask them, "Hey, would you like to get one of these?" That alone increased sales and and profitability um, by I think about five percent on profit. Um, it probably increased their sales by about ten percent um, just mm-hmm. in that first month they they tried it. Um, and that was with you know a lot of the the cashiers not even remembering to ask them. But simple requests like that. Mm-hmm. Um, can yield a lot of benefits. So not just coming back, but how can they do a little bit more business with you while they're there? And so I look for that. And then the second part of your question about you know you know getting new customers, or well, even with your existing customers, who's the best word of mouth? Mm-hmm. Is your existing customers the ones that had a good experience for me? Right. So people a lot of times like recommendations. What's a good restaurant? Who should I use to get my car service? Um, what dentist should I use? Whatever the case may be. Uh, people are more likely to listen to personal recommendations to any kind of, than to any marketing campaign. Right. So, whereas how can you encourage them or what tools can you put in your customer's hands or mouth or whatever, or emails that they can use to refer to their friends and family. Right. Um, so that alone can be another piece of marketing to get new customers. You know, there's, there's certain businesses that rely strictly on word of mouth. And so they say, yeah. I don't do any marketing. It's word of mouth. I said, well, it's, word of mouth is still marketing. It's just somebody else mm-hmm. is being your salesperson, your spokesperson. But what you've been doing is providing a great service. They're providing a great experience. And because of that, they want to tell their friends about a great experience. Yeah. Now, the issue with that, the limitation to word of mouth is that usually only 10% of your customers that had a great experience with you will recommend you intentionally. 
Mm-hmm. That leaves the other 90% of your customers that had a great experience that don't. And it's not because they don't want to, it's just they don't think about it. Right. And so you could kind of train them yeah. by making it really clear on, yeah, like for example, even this morning, I just joined a new gym and this morning I just got an email saying just today and tomorrow, um, if you bring a friend, they can join for this crazy low rate. And so I emailed it to a couple of my friends like right yeah. away. Yeah, you so know, that was a says, simple thing. It doesn't yeah. cost them much other than maybe the production to provide the graphics, but they already have probably some, you're on some kind of their email campaigns. Right. So just a little bit of time, but it doesn't take an effort. So if one of your friends joins, that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a good return. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> right? And think about all the other people that they send these emails to that have asked their friends. And so, yeah, I'm always looking for how do you increase word of mouth? Mm-hmm. Because we're never perfect at it. I mean, no business is perfect. Like I said, only about 10% of people that have a great experience will share that. Uh, on the flip side, the people that have bad experiences, <laughs> there's about, it's, a, it's, it's the reverse, where 90% of people that have a bad experience will tell people. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more question regarding that, um, if we have time for this. But sure. uh, one of my clients, I feel like their product is really dependent on new customers just because well, the, the client is, they, they have a product called um, the Cluffy Wedge. And it's it's this wedge that goes under your shoe. And then the degree and the material and everything, they did a bunch of tests and um, they have like, um, who are the people that fix your back? I just blanked out. Chiropractor? Yeah, chiropractors, like renowned chiropractors, like backing it up and seeing all their parent, patients are um, finding, you know, like are, are getting relief in their back pain for pain, stuff like that. But um, I think customer retention is really hard with that because it's kind of like once you buy it, unless you buy a new pair of shoes, you know, um, you probably won't need a new one or you could just switch it over, you know, and, and they're coming up with a new thing with insoles. So um, you just put in your shoe and you could just transfer that to whatever other shoe you're wearing. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, you know, what are some things that you um, I recommend or, you know, just say to a client like that who, this product is kind of based, it's like this new thing and there's not like something you need, something new every couple months. <clears throat> yeah, so that's, that's always a little challenging, but there's, if there's other accessories, like it sounds like what they're venturing out to, if there's other mm-hmm. accessories that make sense mm-hmm. um, for that target market, um, because it's, um, uh, if they have, so if they have, this is to help with lower back problems, is that what you said? Yeah, it helps lower back problems, posture, and foot pain. Okay. <clears throat> So there's probably uh, back braces that they could be selling as well. Um, and if it's with foot pain, so there's probably, um, you, you, talk, you did talk about insoles that they're creating um, or, 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 yeah, creating, yeah. right? Um, there's probably, I can't think off the top of my head, but if you spend some time, there are probably some other accessories uh, mm-hmm. for people like that or especially back pain that they can use. Also, on the other side yeah. of it is they could potentially uh, develop if they haven't done already, but strategic alliances with chiropractors um, as a strategic alliances as a marketing tool, right? So mm-hmm. these chiropractors have patients that are experiencing back pain. So therefore mm-hmm. they could have a recommendation of, Hey, why don't you go buy this product? In fact, he could probably sell wholesale to chiropractors. So the chiropractors mm-hmm. can actually sell them in their office to their mm-hmm. patients and the chiropractor can make yeah. money. So that might be, mm-hmm. as we're talking, because this is a, obviously we're just kind of going off the cuff here, but that might be mm-hmm. the way to go is, hey, why don't you sell wholesale to chiropractors and let them make money right. as opposed mm-hmm. to having them refer you business, why don't you just sell it to them and they can get it at point of sale. So actually it's a benefit 
for the your the client is they get the benefit of the sale, and then for the yeah. chiropractor, they get the benefit of like it's almost like an upsell. They're treating for their back pain, but also here's a product that will help you in the meantime. Yeah. So for the chiropractor, it's, it's also a win-win. Yeah. And then there's might really be, good. and then maybe potentially um, um, selling to something like uh, relax your back stores. Mm-hmm. So selling into a retail environment that uh, makes sense for them. So now he's going to go from selling retail to kind of go into the wholesale market. Mm-hmm. But which is better, well, it's, there's pros and cons to it, but now he can sell in bulk as opposed to having to sell a retail ones one at a time. Right. So anyways, that's just off the top of my head what some yeah. things to consider. So anyways, hey, Eric, thanks for joining me and and uh, had a lot of fun. Um, and everyone, Eric's going to be joining me quite frequently. He's going to be one of my frequent guest hosts. <laughs> um, you know, when I was, yes. I was saying last year, at the, at the end of last year, I was, when I was talking about transitioning to this uh, Facebook Live, you know, recording a podcast on Facebook Live, um, you know, one of, the, one of my challenges when, whenever I was just uh, just recording just myself uh, on whatever topic, it was always a little challenging because I'm speaking into a mic, but when I have somebody that we can bounce some things off of, like we just did, it's a lot better. I feel more interactive and more engaged, and it's and I'm not just staring into a mic, but I can stare into Eric's face <laughs> or whoever, whoever yes. guest host I have. Like I had, I had Kelly uh, last. Which is Monday. not easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> now you got a great, you got a great face, you got a great look. Uh, so Eric, hey, thanks for thanks for joining us, um, and so look forward to having you again uh, next week. So everyone, thank awesome. you again for listening to the Purpose and Profitability Podcast. If you have any other business questions or topics that you'd like to hear about more, either email me directly at prosper at i61businessdevelopment.com. That's prosper at the letter I, the number 61, businessdevelopment.com. Or if you're, since you're already on the Facebook page live, if that's how you're listening to this, then go ahead and just post it on here. Any question or topic you'd like to hear more about. Um, so anyways, uh, everyone, thank you again for joining me. Uh, thanks. This is Robert Fukui. And remember, purpose plus profit equals transformation. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. For more information, please visit purposeandprofit.com.